Welcome to the Every Day is Saturday podcast. The number one motivation show on the planet. No more Mondays for you. It's time to make every day Saturday. This is the podcast where we help you to accept who you are, not where you are. On the roller coaster of life, you know we only sit in the front seat champion. So make sure you are fastened in. Let's go. Tired of feeling run down all the time during the week? We can help you make every day feel like it's a Saturday. Let's go pack your bags. It's time to leave Averageville. Introducing the man who thinks abnormal stands for above normal. When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up. The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley. How's your boy? Welcome back to the number one motivational podcast on the planet, the Everyday Saturday Show. It's Sam Crowley. Hey, I've got a special interview for you today. My buddy Aaron Rashkin came on the Everyday Saturday podcast. You're going to hear him in just a second. Who's Aaron? You know, I met Aaron about eight years ago in the green room at an event out in Denver. I find Aaron to be fascinating. And uh, how the reason I brought him uh, on the podcast today is... I made a post on my Facebook page about a week ago talking about just personal responsibility, you know, for your health and everything else that's going on in your life. Imagine that, you know. You're accountable for your own best results in life. So Aaron made a, uh, what he always does, made a very uh, poignant comment. I said, hey, man, why don't you come on my podcast? So if you just were interested in, you know, a couple people hanging out, having a talk about mindset, body, health, and finances, making money, then just listen in. You know, we went for about an hour or so, and uh, we focused on those three. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So like I said, if you're on the treadmill, driving in the car, kind of hanging out, whatever, um, pause it if you have to, come back and listen. But I thought Aaron dove into really uh, the good stuff, talking about how to get over yourself, the ego, making money, staying healthy, and just having that kind of rhino skin that can't penetrate, you know, and don't worry about being judged by other people and, you know, making money and not make money overnight, nothing like that, but how to go to work on yourself. That's really where we started with the podcast, how to go to work on yourself. So, hey, uh, enough of me talking. Enjoy the interview with my buddy Aaron. Here you go. All right. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Everyday Saturday podcast. Got my buddy Aaron Raskin. Aaron, how you doing, man? Doing outstanding, Sam. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, you're coming to us today from the great state of Colorado. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Love it here. Absolutely gorgeous. You know, I, I told the audience a little bit about you in the intro, but why don't you do, you know, tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself. Take a few minutes, man. Where you grew up? What have you been doing for the last 50 years or so <laughs> in, in about two minutes? <laughs> you, had to, you had to date me like that, didn't you? What, 49. I'm sorry. So, 49 years. I'll, I'll just... Uh, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, re- I'll reverse engineer my, my story and just kind of shorten it up. But I was born and raised in New York and uh, grew up in a, a wonderful family. Um, we were, we were just like most families around the world, very dysfunctional. And uh, my, my parents split up when I was, I think about four years old. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but that would create a cascade of all sorts of emotional issues for me. Uh, as I was a, a young boy and, and getting into my preteens and my teenage years and my young adulthood. And I didn't really acknowledge that any of it existed until I became an entrepreneur. You know, until I was able to kind of take a look in the mirror and see why my business and why my enterprise wasn't growing. And I realized for the very first time in my early 20s that, you know, businesses don't grow unless you do. <laughs> So I had a lot of work cut out for me and, um, you know, thankfully I had a background in fitness and exercise and nutrition. And, you know, that was kind of like the back door into personal growth and development for me. And I, I was addicted to it once I realized that I had so much potential and I had so much greatness inside of me, but I just didn't know how to tap into it. So I spent, you know, the following years as a personal trainer and as a fitness coach, really understanding, you know, human behavior and, and people. And, you know, it started with myself. I had to first really get to know who I was. And I think there's a great quote. I don't remember who said it, but it said, first seek to understand, then be understood. And so I had a whole world of understanding to experience 
And so that sent me down a rabbit hole of reading books and listening to audios and, you know, finding great mentors and modeling people who had had success before me. And I kind of, you know, spent the next several decades, really, since uh, my early 20s as an entrepreneur, being self-employed, running my own businesses, having my own income streams. And back in 1995, I walked away from corporate America for the very first time and for the last time. And I have been my own boss as an entrepreneur ever since. Wow, dude. That, so that's, that's a short story. Yeah, no, I know there's more to unpack there. We will because I want to talk to you about three topics. And uh, that's the mind and it's the body and it's money. And those are three topics that I think a lot of people care a lot about. Relationships are always, always top of mind as well. But I think when you, you know, <laughs> we could go on and on, I'm sure. But that, that, that's a Stephen Covey quote, the uh, first seek to understand, you know, the real understanding of yourself. I love that. And um, so let's talk. First topic, let's dive into money. Um, you mentioned yeah. you left corporate America. You were a personal trainer. Now, I've hired personal trainers in my, in my past. I don't currently have one now. But, you know, I'd throw them 50 bucks for, you know, an hour or so. And I would always look around the gym and be, I'd feel kind of bad for these men and women because, they were in the greatest shape. You could tell they were very disciplined. They knew their stuff like crazy, but I always got this sense they were broke, you know? And mm. I don't know if that was your experience in the gym, but when I look at them, I don't get the sense these guys are driving Lambos. Not that that matter. We don't keep score by the car you drive. But I just didn't get the sense. I, I, get the, I got the sense, I think this is the best way to put it, they were grinders. Like they were grinding out the hours and getting paid who knows? I was paying the guy 50 bucks an hour. That's not what Bally's health club was paying him, by the way, back in the day, you know? So talk to right. me about when did it hit you that, Hey, I don't, I'm not really, I don't really want to exchange hours for dollars because that's a big decision. And then like, how do you flip the switch, you know? And how, I mean, yeah. talk about that. Dude. When did that hit you that I'm just not cut out for this thing? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, you mentioned that we're going to cover three topics and, and you kind of squeeze in there the word relationships. Yeah. And, you know, really all these topics come in the wake of the relationship that we have with ourselves and the relationship we have with ourselves kind of precedes the relationship we have with money. I mean, it really does precede the relationship we have with money. And when I was a personal trainer and I worked in the gyms, you know, I had a linear income. If I went to work, I got paid. And if I went to work, I got paid. But if I didn't go to work, Sam, I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> and I didn't like that because I like to be, you know, I like to be kind of lazy, to be honest with you. You know, like I'm just like everybody else. Like I like to, you know, kick back and, and, and lounge and enjoy my days and relax. But I'll work really, really hard for a short period of time so that I could be really lazy for a long period of time. And I discovered this when I was working in a gym. I worked in the health clubs. I worked in the fitness centers. I worked with clients. And, you know, I was making $24,000 a year. And that was before taxes. Now, this was back in the mid-90s. You know, this started in the early 90s. I became a personal trainer when I was in college. I got accredited through my gym. I then got nationally certified by a big, you know, big fitness company. I took this you know, big test. It was, a, I think, 300 pages. It was, you know, the book of, of fitness and, and nutrition and exercise and body parts and muscles and all the connective. You know, I learned everything you could possibly learn for that test. And I passed it with flying colors. And I was now nationally certified at 21 years old. And I was training corporate CEOs and blue and white collar. And you know, I was, I was training everybody and anybody, and I was talking fitness all day. And I learned, you know, that there are people that work less hours than I did, but wake, but earn and make far more money than I did. So I knew that there was so much opportunity out there. And I might want to rewind a bit. I was the son, or I am the son of a serial entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur and my dad had his own company, had his own business multiple businesses. And I grew up inside of my dad's company. I grew up in, you know, the offices and doing, you know, things that would be just considered menial work, but very important to the success of his business. And I moved from the office to the warehouse and to the cleaning shop and into the loading docks and then onto the trucks. And I was delivering for him. And then I was in sales and, 
you know, I, I did selling as a delivery person and I did whatever needed to be done. I did it. I helped my dad. He helped me, taught me lessons that I took for the rest of my life. And so as a personal trainer, I knew that there had to be more for me out there. I was going to the gym in the morning at 5 a.m. so I could be ready for my first client at 6. I was sleeping in the gym when I would stay there until 11.30 or 12 because I had to be back in the morning again by 5, 5.30 to open up for the next day. So there were days where I literally slept in the gym on the personal training cot. It was in the personal training office. And so that was what I did and through college and you know, that wasn't the only thing I did. I did a lot of other things in college too. I've worked in the bars and I bar backed and I bartended and I did all sorts of things when I was growing up, you know, in my, in my early twenties and I left corporate America. It was September of 1995 and I went into work one day and I hadn't had a cleanly shaven face. Now this is back in the early nineties when it was the grunge era, you know? Right. So it was cool right. to have a, cool cool to have a little you know five o'clock shadow after a few days yeah and so i went into work and i didn't have a cleanly shaven face and my manager sent me home from work <laughs> and you know the odd the odd thing about it was that it was that he had he had facial he had a mustache and i went i got sent home because he could do that to me and so when i went home i lost a whole day's pay which at that time was less than a hundred dollars and that was a lot of money to me yeah. But more importantly, it was a lot of morale for me. You know, my clients were not happy. They were upset that I wasn't there to train them. The whole gym was wondering where I was. I was a staple in that gym. I lived out of an igloo ice box and, you know, Tupperware and plasticware. And that was what I did every day. I was in the gym, so committed, so dedicated. I was so excited for my clients to experience changes in their lives. And I, I think I mentioned this when we spoke the other day for the first time in the last six or seven years, Sam. But I use. I use fitness as a backdoor into the conversation about personal growth and development. So yeah, you're going to, you know, lose weight, look great, you know, feel better, have more energy, right? When we work, but we're also going to talk about things that most people aren't willing to talk about. And those are the challenges that most people need to learn how to coexist with and then opt out of and dilute and then dissolve and then unsubscribe from. So that problem may still exist, but we're not a part of it anymore. And so, that's a big part of the conversation that I was having 20, 25 years ago when I first entered into entrepreneurship. But see, I was my first client. I was my first student. I was my first experiment, so to speak, because I had so much growing and so much learning and so much experience to, you know, have before I could share my knowledge with other people. And so early on, it was, you know, I was just kind of playing in a Petri dish and, you know, I learned what worked, what didn't, how to speak to people, how to listen, how to ask questions, how to send that unspoken message that I'm the leader they're looking for. And I was in a lot of different business, you know, opportunities and different models and started my own company, started my own, you know, enterprises multiple times. I had a private label sports supplement business that I used to keep myself from having to get a job um, back in the, in the late 90s. I you know, did what I had to do. I knocked on doors. I pounded the pavement. I spoke to other trainers. I spoke to other gym owners. I spoke to fitness centers and weight loss centers and chiropractors and therapists, you know, massage therapists and, and anyone and everyone that had action, you know, access or interaction with people. And I did that, you know, to learn the grassroots of entrepreneurship. And it was the experience of a lifetime because what I learned, I took with me to the next phase of my of my career in life and it allowed me to use that experience as a springboard as a platform uh, to get next level results and so I entered into the next business and the next business and every time I started a new business or every time I started with a new mentor or I started with a new company all that information all that experience I accrued it just kind of compounded and it's like the quantum effect where you know two plus two doesn't equal four anymore can equal 15. And so I've just traveled the last 30 years, 35 years really, in, in fitness and 25 plus years now as an entrepreneur. And I love sharing what I learned with my clients and my members and my customers and my partners and the people who work with me um, in my business, you know, the people that I outsource to and assistants and, and everybody in my life pretty much. 
And so that's, that's where I've come from, Sam. That's, you know, that's, that's the, the conversation that starts about our relationship with money. Yeah, because it's a big one. I mean, when you talk about all that, it makes a lot of sense now connecting the dots because when I see a post on social media, it looks like you spend time. You're not just out there, hey, guys, look at, look at you know, the slice of pizza I had in the movie I saw. Like, you will take time to write a Facebook post that I can tell is, you know, kind of introspective and thought-provoking. And, yeah, you may have a call to action. There's nothing wrong with asking people to go visit a link or opt-in or something like that. But when you, you, so what do you do right now in the spring of 2021? How do you earn income? Do you, do you own a business? What is it that, exactly that you do to earn income? Yeah, I own, I own multiple businesses. I have different income streams between info marketing products. I do fitness coaching. I also have a network marketing business and I have investments and I have, you know, lots of, lots of affiliate income that continues to pay me for work that I did one time. So, you know, I, I've, I've designed my life like this. This was something that I've wanted to do for years was to literally be free. I mean, that was my highest value as far back as I can remember. I, I was a kid that hated to be told what to do. I was insubordinate. I think that's probably the best word to yeah. use. And I had a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges taking direction when I was younger. And uh, I learned, you know, the hard way. I mean, I think there's something to be said about learning, right? You know, smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And so I learned from my own mistakes and it kept me broke. But when I started opening up to mentorship and other, other entrepreneurs and leadership and modeling other people and listening more than I spoke and asking great questions and really trying to, you know, become somebody different, you know, and I don't want to say I'm, I was trying because I was becoming somebody different. I made a commitment that I was going to live a life of freedom. I didn't care what it took or how long it took. I didn't care what I had to do. I was committed to being free without a job, without a boss, without a salary, right? Because when you have a salary and you know exactly how much you're going to be paid this week or that week or next month or all year, when you know exactly how much income you're going to be paying taxes on, I think the, the best way to say it is you're probably a check or two away from being broke. Well, that, that is, let me just ask it. Well, let me stop there and ask <laughs> that question because people would say, yeah, Aaron, I get that. But hey, look, man, I got with that every other week paycheck. I also get my health insurance paid. They match my 401k. I get, you know, three weeks vacation a year. So I hear all you entrepreneurs talking about how sexy that freedom lifestyle is. But hey, I've got three kids. I got a mortgage. I've got all these, you know, people looking to me. I got a seven grand a month nut that I got to meet every month. So I love your freedom speech, but how do I'm, you know, I'm not going to just give this up right now. Yeah. Those, those are called the golden handcuffs, right? Yeah. yeah they're, you're, you're, your golden handcuffs are gold, but you're still in bondage. And the key is that it's not for entrepreneurship's not for everybody. Right. It's yeah, for the right body. Right. It's for the, it's, it's for the right body. It's right. It's for the right person who knows that they can create their own future, that they don't have to, you know, take only three weeks of vacation per year, or they don't have to stay at a job that they don't absolutely love. Now, if somebody loves their work, they love the job that they do. They love, you know, the, the, the camaraderie, the community, they love the culture that they're in and they're not looking, you know, I always say, Sam, there's two kinds of people. The first person wakes up at the crack of dawn, they get their morning routine, right? They brush their teeth, they get a shower, they make the coffee, they, they give the, the, the spouse or the partner a kiss, they get the kids off to school, right? And everybody's hunky-dory and they get on their way and they get to work. Now, of course, now in the, in the times we're in with COVID, not everybody's working outside of the home, but for the most part, you know, when things get back to uh, what we're used to, right, in this world, right? That person gets to their desk, they get to their cubicle, they get to their truck, they get to the bus, they get to the field, they get to the plant, they get to the factory, they get to wherever they have to go in order to make ends meet, right? And so they can pay their bills and keep food on the table. And they get there and they say, ah, this is all there is. I love it. I'm going to make the best of it. And they love it. They're excited. They're, they, they love their work. They're you know, thrilled with what they're doing. And there's nothing looking, you know, they're not looking for anything. There's nothing that they're looking for. 
And they say, this is all there is. And then there's a second person that wakes up at the crack of dawn. They do their morning routine. They brush their teeth. They get a shower. They get their coffee. They kiss their kids and spouse goodbye. Get everybody taken care of. They get in the car and they sit in traffic or they, you know, they get to work. They get to the desk, the job, the cubicle, the bus, the bath, you know, wherever they go to make money. And they get there and they look around and they go, this can't be all there is. Mm. So you got two people. This is all there is. And then this can't be all there is. There's got to be more. And that thing has to be tugging at them. And that thing, most of the time, they don't even know what it is, but it's freedom. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for more opportunities, more choices. They're looking for the things that they can't have at where they're currently at. In other words, by doing the things they're continually doing. So they know that they have to make changes. And these are people that are either going to become entrepreneurs or they're going to be non-entrepreneurs, right? They're non-entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, right? There's all these different names for somebody who wants to be successful or wants to have freedom, but they want more choices and they want more option and they want more money. They want more income. They want a better future. They want a better savings. They want more flexibility. They want more, you know, everything. They want all these mores, right? But they've got to be willing to do what it takes. And a lot of times people, when they're faced with, some, some sort of adversity, something as simple as talking to a family member or a friend about their business or talking to a complete stranger online at the supermarket or talking to a possible business partner or possible investor or possible customer or, or client or teammate, right? Or a life partner, right? It could be in any area of life. And they, they find out that they don't feel good enough about themselves and so they don't think others are going to feel good enough about them and there comes this thing called ego and yeah. that ego is what drives people away from entrepreneurship and away from freedom and away from the success that they want because they just haven't gone deep enough to find out what's really there and then learn how to exist with it and then learn how to dissolve it unsubscribe and be a part of something that could be bigger than themselves. You know, that's true. I mean, if you think about all of that, man, that's a lot to unpack there as well. My gosh. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, there are 15 different more questions you could ask just about that, which is kind of a good segue into the mindset because the mindset and I've, look, I say the same thing you do. Nobody's here to take a shot at somebody that goes to a job every day because it's not easy to leave that job. If all you've understood from your parents and everybody around you is that, you know, go to college, get a job, stay in a job, raise a family, and you don't want to be an idiot and quit your job and then don't have any money coming in and you can't pay your bills. But there is a gradual progression. And if you go to work on yourself and if you go to work on your mindset and if you, you know, watch, you know, I, I, I used to go into work early and I would just print out ebooks because YouTube wasn't around back in, you know, 2003, 2004. So I would just print out pages and pages of online marketing stuff from the Warrior Forum and all these different places where people would just give away all their best information. And I would take the binders that Human Resources gave me for, you know, hey, this is how we do X, Y, Z. And I would just throw them all in the garbage and I started filling those binders with internet marketing. Uh, materials and started to really learn. And I would brown bag my lunch. When everybody went to lunch, I would read the internet marketing things. But that's how bad I wanted freedom. And, and, you know, when we talk about mindset, you and I have, it sounds like, you know, similar upbringings coming from broken families. And I never, you know, put two and two together that a lot of maybe the, you know, the roadblocks I had in my life could be attributed back to that. That would be interesting to think about as well. But as you think about mindset and the, I'm trying to think of the right word to like, um, you're worthy, like you are good enough to be a multi-millionaire. And it's not even so much about the money, but it's what the money can give to you. Like I'm a Christian. So a lot of the people who I know feel very guilty if they earn a lot of income, because in some Christian circles, it's not, you know, it's, it's not biblical to be you know, flaunting your wealth, living in a big home, driving a nice car. It's almost better if you're broke because, you know, then that's how Jesus was. You know, so there's a lot going on there. And I think about the mindset of having wealth. What's your thoughts on, uh, you know, 
our, our worthiness. I mean, you get one shot at life and helping people understand that, you know, yes, even you, the individual making 40 grand a year, 60 grand a year, even if you've been doing that job for 20 years, can be free. There's no, like, like there's no age limit. There's no requirement. It doesn't matter if you got Hollywood good looks or Harvard education. If I were to come to you and say, Aaron, I'm making 75 grand a year. I've got a wife and four kids, but I just don't have the mindset, man. I've never even thought I want to be free. I hate this. I just, but I don't even know what my purpose, what my passion is. Where do I even go? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So true. And, and so powerful. So I think the best, you know, entry point into this part of the conversation is there's a big difference between being worthy and being deserving. Right now we're all worthy. I believe we're all worthy. I believe everybody that takes a breath of air is worthy and, and anybody that's not taking a breath of air. I mean, I believe that, you know, with conception comes life. And so we're all worthy. We're all blessed. We're all touched right by the hand of our creator, whoever our creator is, whoever we believe in or what we believe in is our creator. So we're all worthy of everything we've ever wanted, right? All the things that we've ever thought we wanted or things that we dream about. And it's not whether we're worthy that determines, it's whether or not we feel that we deserve it, okay? And that, that level of deserve comes into play where when we look at how people show up every single day, most people know that they're worthy, but they don't feel that they deserve it. And this is because their ego, their self-esteem, they have taken a beating so badly over the years. And, you know, in today's day and age, we have so many different, you know, different resources that we can point to when it comes to why people have such low self-esteem, right? I mean, just the fact that we have the internet, we have so much access to connection and community, but it has both its upsides and its downs. And I will tell you, I, I have shared with some of my inner circle members for a group called the MAG team, stands for Massive Action Group, right? And I would do a weekly coaching. I did it for about 18 months. And my, my MAG team has heard me share this. And I'll just share with you quickly, just to kind of give you a, a short version, Sam. Yeah. We have what's called, we have the villains, what I call the villains of social media. There's, there's four villains. There's digital overload, okay? We are bombarded with messages constantly. And what makes it easier to be bombarded with messages and all this communication, right, that could sway us in any direction that it wants is the fact that we have our, our computers at our fingertips. We have access to the world in our fingertips, right, at our fingertips, in our hands, and we can literally cut, like, connect with people halfway around the world uh, with just one click of a button, right? We just one tap on our screen. And this digital overload has created so much distraction and, and, and stimulation that it creates all sorts of fear inside of us, fear of loss and fear of missing out and, and fear of not being good enough. And this, this you know, overload is really responsible for our central nervous systems being fried. We get people that have anxiety. We have people that have stress and they're constantly comparing themselves to other people. And there's just so much. We could go down this rabbit hole for, for hours and talk about all of the people who have tremendous potential, but they don't feel that they deserve it because they're constantly looking at other people, other people's success, other people's photos and photoshops and they're, they're this and they're that. And they're constantly comparing themselves and they always fall short. And so that's just one of the four villains, distraction, right? Or not distraction, but overload. Then we have distraction. The short, the short version or the short uh, explanation of digital distraction is I'm driving my car and there's a girl walking through the crosswalk in an intersection where I live, not far from where I live, walking while she's texting, her face is in her phone, her fingers, both her hands are on her phone, and she's walking through rush hour traffic, not even paying attention to where she is. Wow. Okay, that's just one example. Just one example. She stops traffic. People are slamming on their brakes behind me, in front of me. That's just one example. Another quick example is 
do you know how many people walk into their room or into their kitchen or into their living room or they walk someplace and when they get there, they forget why they even went in the first place, yep. right? They don't even remember. We don't use that part of our brain anymore. We have so much going on that we're distracted nonstop. So we have this digital overload. We have digital distraction. We've got what's called digital dementia. <laughs> Play along with me here, Sam. When mm -hmm. you were a kid, when you were a kid and the phone was attached to the wall, how many phone numbers did you know off the top of your head around that age? Oh my God. Well, I think I knew everybody's phone, at least all my friends. I probably knew eight or 10, <laughs> maybe 15 to 20. Okay. And so you're just like everybody else. Now, how many do you know that are in your phone right now? My wife. <laughs> yep. This is exactly what I'm talking about. We don't exercise parts of our brain that are used to remember things we put things down we forget where they are it's not just old people anymore it's not like guys like you and me you know 50 52 53 years old it's yeah. not seniors anymore who forget kids forget we're talking about kids that are single digits that have access to social media and phones and tablets we're talking about teenagers and young adults and 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 people in their middle ages that are just forgetting everything they forget not just phone numbers but they forget why they forgot why they started they forget and in entrepreneurship when somebody wants to quit or walk away or or shut down or whatever the case is they just want to forget that they started i i ask them to remember why they started let's think back to why we started as an entrepreneur and then that'll give us a little bit more reason to stick with it and to continue so digital distraction and then the last one which is probably the worst of all of them sam the fourth villain of social media is digital depression mm -hmm. and i kind of i kind of touched on it earlier and the depression is coming from a lack of communication right we've become so accustomed to communicate with the digital devices right the screens and the social medias and all these digital you know, distractions in our lives that we forget to communicate and we forget to actually have connections and relationships in real life. And it's costing people their lives. I mean, there's, there's never been more depression, more stress, more anxiety, more insomnia, right? More, more sleepless. Uh, there's never been more sleeplessness or more unrest in this world than right now. And yes, it's a, it's a byproduct of what's going on in our, in our worldwide landscape, right? Our political landscape and our economical landscape, all these different as, uh, aspects of our world community, right? But it starts in the home, it starts within us. And there's a lack and a loss of communication and connection and people don't feel loved. They don't feel appreciated. They feel less than, not enough, right? Underappreciated. And so these things weigh very heavy on an entrepreneur because we are paid for our value, our creativity, our ingenuity. We're, we're paid to create an, an, an environment and an experience for people. And if we're experiencing pain and we're experiencing a, a low self-esteem, we're experiencing a lot of resistance and friction within ourselves how are we supposed to go out there and be as effective as possible in making changes in the world when we can't make changes in our own world so these four villains of social media they have really taken their toll and the mindset is so critical which is why i always recommend to people to you know not just put the phone down and and disconnect from the internet but have routines that keep you on point right patterns and, and create habits so that we don't fall prey because it's not that we rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems and a system of routines is critical. Our morning routine, right? We all have a morning routine, right? Sam, you wake up, yep. you, you know, take a shower, brush your teeth, get some coffee, see the kids, the, you know, spend some time with your wife to get busy in your office, right? That's a routine every day that you want to be successful. You follow the routine. Well, guess what? We need, uh, a daytime routine we need a nighttime routine right before we go to bed what do we do how do we shut down how do we prepare for 
one third of our life, if we're supposed to be sleeping eight hours a night, right, which is an optimal amount of sleep, or maybe it's not, you might need nine hours, you might need, you know, 10 hours. But if you're going to spend a third of your life in bed, you better have two things. Number one, a really great bed. Number one, a great yeah. bed. Number two, you better have a great nighttime routine so that you can sleep because when you sleep, you rest. And when you rest, you grow. Yeah, I love that. You're right. You know what? It's funny you said that about a bed, just a two-second explanation on that or edit, editorial comment. My wife and I kind of splurged a little bit a few years ago on one. Yeah, one of those ones you hit the remote and it, it raises up and you can read and bed, all that stuff. And the mattress was, holy crap. Like, I grew up on a mat. Like, I was the youngest of eight kids, so I just got what I got. Man, it was coils coming out of that thing and everything. But you're right about a good night's sleep. I took my kids on an Airbnb trip to Miami Beach about two months ago, and the bed was all janked up, and my back was out of whack for about a week. And I was like, man, I can't believe that's all just because of the bed I sleep in. That, that's funny you mention that because I just experienced that. That's pretty wild. So, um, very common, very common. So, you know, as we talked to, you know, we talked about money and how you make money and, and the trap of, you know, that security, that false sense of security. And like you said, entrepreneurship is not for everybody, but uh, being the best version of yourself is certainly for everybody. How you show up at your job, how you show up in your relationships and how you show up online. And I had mentioned that tidbit uh, before we shift over to, to health. I mentioned that tidbit about reading your Facebook post. And look, Aaron and I have known each other about eight years or so. I met him at an event in Denver back in 2013. So we've known each other a good eight years now off and on. And he's followed our journey with Susan and I followed his journey. And the one thing I see when you make a post, dude, sometimes you'll write like, what's the most words? I'd be, I mean, you probably don't even count them, but they look like mini eBooks sometimes what you put out there. How much thought do you put into a, a social media post and why do you make them so long? You know, that's a good question. The truth is I don't really think about what I'm doing. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I operate purely from inspiration and I, I don't actually mean to write long posts, but I can't stop myself because when, when an idea is flowing, I just download it and let it come through me. I mean, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be expressed and, you know, being fully self-expressed is so powerful because it's to that point where you can't really put more weight on another person's opinion than on the opinion you have of yourself. And mm -hmm. so I don't really mind putting out long posts and I put out short posts and sometimes I put out, you know, memes or I put out just some silly thing just to, you know, share my, my, my funny side or my entertaining side. I, I had a nickname in college of goofy. And I think it was because I was always doing silly, funny things and just entertaining my friends and, and all the people that I spend time with. And I, I love laughing. I love having a great time. I love just being free and being me. And, you know, I don't really think about it. I never really thought about my posts being too long. And, and, if, and, and if somebody says, oh, well, I'm afraid of my posts being too long, I always say that it's, it's not bad when it's good. Yeah. Right? If the content is good, if it resonates with people, if it connects with people, if it shares information or it shares education or it, it shares you know, inspiration or, or, or entertainment, or there's some sort of connection, right? These are all the things that you can use. And then, as you mentioned earlier, right, I sometimes ask people to click on the link or come find me, message me, go to my website, fill out an application, fill out a questionnaire, right, if they want to work with me in some capacity. And so I never feel bad about doing that because I'm giving so much. Yeah. I give probably most you know, 90% of the time I'm giving and I'm, and I'm, and I'm only asking a small percentage of the time. So this is why people come seek me out and they want to spend time and work with me. Yeah. I love that. That right there. Boom. Hey, uh, yeah. How much you give, 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 give. I mean, I've been giving away a free podcast for 15 years and I just maybe in the last five years added a call to action to that podcast. Hey, if you want to work together, get on my calendar. Prior to that, it was just, there was nothing. It's just, Hey, here you go. All the best stuff I can think of. I'm just going to give it to you. And I still do it every day because I think that's, again, entrepreneurs are good people. 
And I think, you know, the whole thing about the rich get richer and the poor get poor, that's not true. I mean, the rich are getting richer. Sure, that can happen. But the poor are not getting poor. It's not like somebody has to go more poor for somebody else to gain more money. And I thought that, you know, I grew up on welfare. My mom, you know, always said, hey, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. So I was always, you know, in that mindset. But when you give, 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 entrepreneurs give. And the ones who come up with a great system or add a lot of value make a lot of money, man. So if you're struggling now with not making enough money, ask yourself, are you solving problems that are out there that, you know, somebody at McDonald's, you know, their biggest problem is they got to put a, a patty in a microwave for 30 seconds. That's going to make 10 bucks an hour because anybody can do it. But if you're out there solving bigger problems for people, maybe designing a website or helping somebody with a video or something like that, you're going to get paid more money. So I just, I just think that that editorial comment about, you know, just how we show up as entrepreneurs and just give. I don't know any successful entrepreneur who doesn't have a giver's heart. Now, of course, there's jerks out there. There's jerks everywhere, though. I mean, the most successful ones I know are the ones that are just, hey, man, how can I help you out? And I, I, I got to tell you, I'm shocked. You know, I've been in some of these masterminds. You and I have mutual friends in this space. And, you know, these are like 25 grand a year masterminds. I got invited just to show up for free and hang out and just observe and I was really shocked how nice everybody was. You know, they were, well, hey, what do you need, Sam? Can I help you out? Oh, what do you got? You know, it's always, I think until you actually get in those spaces, uh, you, you, you don't realize some of these entrepreneurs that are really making a lot of money are some of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, I couldn't agree with it more. I mean, some of, some of my best friends are the biggest philanthropists and they're just givers. You know, they, they're go-givers, not just go-getters. They, they contribute, they give, and they, and they offer first. And then people seek them out because they want to be around somebody who gives so much and with so much value. Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. So Aaron's going to turn 50 in June, and he's built like a flipping, like a brick house, man. Almost four a little bit, which is fine, I swear, but I, I almost got too excited about that, Aaron. You are in amazing shape, man. So this is where, this is the part of the interview I want to dive into. Money, mindset, relationships. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But I've really taken a, a, an, an interest in my health, not only in the past six months, but over the past maybe five or eight years. And I'm really trying to dial it in. But man, you got this thing dialed down. I know you got the personal trainer history and you've always invested in your body. But I'm trying to think of the best question. I don't want to ask some hokey question. Oh, you get in great shape. Uh, uh, let me ask you one quick question. Do you do intermittent fasting? That's one thing I wanted to ask you. Just out of the gate. Do you do that? Yeah, I did do it in the past. I've experimented with it. I don't recommend it um, to everybody. It has to be a very specific case. And they have to have a particular, you know, my clients have to have a particular profile for that to happen where I would recommend it. But the, the, the problem that I see with intermittent fasting, and it does have some great upsides, but it also has some downsides for the wrong person. What happens is it tends to shorten up this eating window where a person can eat, you know, between eight and a 10 hour window, right? Men, yeah. eight hours, women, 10 hours. And what happens is, is in those eight to 10 hours, we sometimes cannot eat anywhere near the amount of food that we would eat if we were to eat from morning until we go to bed, you know, or an hour or two before bed right? Like if we were start starting our day at seven or eight in the morning and we were eating breakfast by eight or 9 a.m., right? There's a lot more opportunity to eat when we're not fasting than when we are fasting. And for somebody that wants to lose weight, and this is why most people fast. Now, there's a lot of hormone regulation that goes on with fasting. And there's a lot of, you know, processes in a, in a, inside of our body when our body's not working on digesting, right? Every couple few hours or every three to four hours, which is how most people eat, right? If our body's not digesting, it can spend time doing other things like balancing our hormones, like building up, or, or should I say, repairing broken down muscle tissue, right? So we're building our bodies, right? In that repair time. But when we only have a certain window to eat and our goal is to burn fat, right? We want to lose weight, not necessarily because we don't like the number on the scale, right? If you're using a scale as your measure of progress, you're missing a huge, huge piece of the puzzle, a, pu a piece of the puzzle that's probably closer to 90% of the puzzle. So when somebody's fasting and they have a short window to eat all their calories and they're not getting all their calories, which is about 98% of the people that I've personally coached 
and have interviewed that have done internet, uh, intermittent fasting. I almost called it internet fasting. That would be something. We should all yeah, do yeah, internet Everybody fasting. needs that. Yeah. <laughs> so when somebody's fasting, right, when somebody's fasting and they're not getting enough calories, right, that's a problem because it's kind of like if you're going to build a house, you need a lot of materials, right? You need a lot of concrete, you need a lot of metal, you need a lot of wood, you need a lot of screws and bolts and nuts and, and things that keep the thing together, right? You need a lot, of, a lot of materials to build that house. And when you're only getting a certain amount of calories because you have a shortened window and you can only eat so much in that window because you know, if, you're, if you're just eating because you have a window, right? You're not getting enough material, you're not getting enough calories and you're not building enough muscle so that you can turn your body into a fat burning machine. And what I see happening with people who get on this fasting, you know, they, they wind up eating in a very short amount of time. Let's just say the men, eight hours, women, 10 hours, like I said, and they're only eating every couple, two to three hours, just like they would normally during the day, or maybe every four hours. So they're really only eating two times. Some people eat one time, a big giant meal, right? Yep. And what happens is that they're not really giving their body the materials that it needs to build up. And, you know, I'm a fitness coach, so I have all my clients working out, right? I, I work with people from amateur athletes to competitors, fitness competitors. I work with people who are weekend warriors to housewives, to single dads and moms, to kids. I work with, you know, I have clients from all different demographics and socioeconomic walks of life. And Sam, I'm telling you, when people come to me after fasting, their metabolism is slow, their hormones are completely out of balance, and they have the hardest time putting on muscle, burning fat, losing weight, and looking and feeling the way that they, they really want to. So that's my take on intermittent fasting. That's the short version. I could probably go on for hours. That felt like the long version. That felt like the long version. Let me ask you, but very insightful, man. Let me ask you kind of a follow-up on that one. I don't do cardio and I feel guilty. Should I feel guilty or I do legs on one day, I'll do chest and back another and I'll do shoulders and you know, whatever buys and tries on a third. I'll work out three, maybe four days a week. Should I be in doing cardio as well? God, I hope you don't say yes. Go ahead. I didn't want to prejudice <laughs> question. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question for the, sh for the show and for your podcast and for this interview. It's kind of like the difference between linear income and, and having a passive residual income, okay? So cardio, right, no matter what form of cardio, anytime you're doing a long bout of cardio, right, long cardio session, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, an hour, two hours. Some people I see do cardio for 90 minutes. Oh, my God. You know, four or five times a week. Excessive cardio and any cardio really costs you calories, okay? And right. calories cost you muscle. And when you're trying to build a body that burns fat for energy, right? If you're looking to turn your body into a fat burning, what I call a machine, right? And no matter how we look at it, it doesn't mean that you have to be a machine like, you know, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four, or, you know, you're not going to look like a bodybuilder if you're lifting weights outside your comfort zone, right? But when you want to build muscle, and burn fat, especially as we get older, right? As we get older, after we, you know, turn over, for, at 40 years old, we start losing muscle mass. It's called muscle atrophy. We start losing about 6% muscle mass every year as we get closer, you know, to 40, 45, 50 years old, 60 years old, right? The older we get, the harder it is for us to maintain muscle unless there's an intervention. And that's what I do is I teach people how to intervene with their biological time clock and make sure that they're, you know, that they're not doing too much cardio, but they're also doing the right things uh, to get the right results when it comes to building muscle and strength training and becoming more flexible as they get into their golden years. So that I do have the Apple Watch. I do track my steps. I do try to hit the, you know, the coveted 10,000 steps. Um, can I do that and not have to run? I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, dude, can you just tell me I don't have to do cardio or are you going to tell me I do? Cause I if you, if you, if you build muscle, if you do, if you strength train properly and you build muscle properly between the strength training, your nutrition and your rest, you don't need to do cardio. Now it does, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it because it is heart healthy and it's very healthy to be outdoors or, you know, move every day. If you're doing it indoors, that's fine too. But, 
you know, if you're not moving, you're living a very sedentary lifestyle. So I have my clients doing cardio, but very limited amounts yeah. of low intensity, steady state cardio. But my question is, is why would you want to do cardio if your muscles will burn those same calories? Listen, you could eat four to 500 calories in about 10 minutes time. Okay. Yeah. And in a, in a pretty intense cardio workout, you can burn about four to 500 calories, but yet you could eat it in 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why not create a, why not create a system so that your body burns four to 500 extra calories per day without you having to even take a single step. Yeah. No, I love that's it. what muscle, that's what muscle building and strength training will do for you. Now you're a big guy. I mean, what, what what's the end game with this? I mean, are you going to be 80 years old still looking like that? I mean, don't at some point. I mean, I don't know <laughs> many guys. I don't know old guys that look like you. When do you ship shape your body to look more like uh, you know whoever is at 75 years old? Or are you just going to look like this the rest <laughs> of your life? I I, I got to turn 50 first, Sam, before I turn 80. But I will say this. I, you know, I'm when people meet me, it's hilarious. When people meet me, they say. Wow, I thought you were so much bigger. And the reason is because I tend to keep my body fat fairly low, right? Not yeah. too low. Like I'm not a competitive bodybuilder. I never went on stage. I never cared to compete with other people. Um, you know, I was just never into being judged by other people to tell me what I should or shouldn't look like. So for me, it was never about bodybuilding the sport, but it was about building my body for life. And yeah. so for me, I, I, don't, I don't really have um a desire to you know look like i did when i was 20 but i like to stay in the best shape i can and i train you know five to six days a week depending on if i'm traveling or if i have access to you know equipment or if i just have access to my my space wherever i'm at if i'm in a hotel or if i'm you know someplace where i don't really have a lot of room so i could i could work out by doing things you know with my body weight or i could work out in a gym i i like to have multiple gym memberships so that I can, you know, see and experience different energies and different people and connect with, you know, people in the fitness industry. I just like to kind of move around a little bit when I, when I work out and where I work out. But um, yeah, my, my future is just continue on the, the trajectory that I'm on right now. And uh, just to inspire other people to, to look better, feel better, have more energy, feel their best and just get the most out of this thing we call life. Let me ask you, I forgot to, I meant to ask this question in the first segment. We were talking about money. What's the most money you made in a 12-month period of time? Um, close to a seven-figure income. I mean, after taxes and whatnot. I mean, gross income over seven figures, you did know, that, after taxes. And did that, that change you? Did that change you at all that you made a million dollars in one year's time? Did you feel like, oh, my God, I am now a different person? Or you're like, huh, well, that was interesting. I don't know what I had such a, you know, thought about that. I mean, what was your thoughts when you said, holy shit, I made a million dollars? Yeah, no, my, my ego, my ego will tell you, <laughs> let me tell you what my ego is saying right now. My ego is saying, no, it didn't change me. It just made me more of who I already am. Yeah. Right. That's my ego talking. Yeah. Yeah. My, that's my a good self, line, man. That's the canned line right there. Right. Yeah. That's what my ego is saying. But my, my, my truth Right. When I stand in my truth and I stand in my power, the truth is, is it did change me in a lot of ways that I was not real proud of after I changed. And I, I let the money get to me in a lot of ways that I hadn't experienced before. And so being in this new money, I overspent, I over consumed, I over, you know, over invested. <laughs> I guess you can say, you know, I put yeah. money in places that I lost it. I, I was very careless. Very, very, you know, very, very careless with my money when I first started earning it because I, I didn't know what it was. I, I came into it so quickly. Now I'm not saying I didn't earn it and I didn't. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't worthy. But it was new to me, and that was an area of my life that I had not really dove deep enough into into education. And so I joined companies to learn about my wealth and about my 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 financial blueprint and my relationship with money. And it's so different today than it was back then. And uh, so, yeah, my very first seven-figure year, it was, it was uh, quite an experience, you know, because, and I think the best way to, you know, kind of copycat the cliche, it's not what you make, but what you keep. And when you don't know how to keep the money, it's, 
you know, money is not really ours to begin with. It's supposed to pass through us, right? We can't bury ourselves with it. Although I'm sure people have done that before, but money oh, is sure. really energy. Yeah, money is really just energy. And uh, it's meant to flow, not just to us, but through us. And so I, I did not have the ability or the wherewithal to keep a lot of the income that I earned in the very early years of my entrepreneurial career. Awesome. I love it. All right. Let me ask you a last question uh, because this comes up a lot from not only clients, but this was an older version of myself and I think it still creeps up into my life. Um, so let me just kind of set this question up. Do you worry about people judging you? Do you give that any energy and any power? Have you ever had a situation or times in the past where you gave that power to somebody else fearing like, did you not go into a business because of what somebody might think? Did you not shoot a video? Did you not show up in a, in, in a certain way in life because you were worried about being judged? And does that creep into your life at all now? And the reason I ask this question is because, again, people listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast. One of the, um, the biggest challenges they have is, well, you know, so-and-so is going to see this or somebody that knows me, they're going to say, it's this new thing or you lost your mind. Like it happened to me when I launched my podcast, like, hey, Jeez, did you see what Sam did? He quit his job. He's, he's out there running around calling everybody a champion. That guy's lost his friggin' mind, you know? So, you know, I had to deal with that. Um, and I, it really got inside my head. Like I, I, I wouldn't tell other people that, I, that were in my inner circle at the time, you know, friends and family and relatives what I was doing because I didn't want to be judged. Do you ever have that happen now? And did you ever have that happen in the past where you really gave power to other people's opinions of you? Yeah, well, if you remember, it's a great question, Sam. If you remember in the early part of our conversation, I mentioned that I came from, you know, somewhat dysfunction and, and a broken yeah. home, right? My parents split up and it, and, it, and it sent me down this rabbit hole and a cascade of different emotions. And, and you know, what, what happened for me was I had a really, really high level of confidence, but I had a very low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And that's a very dangerous cocktail. That's a very dangerous <laughs> cocktail because I, I thought I could do anything, right? I thought I could do anything, but I didn't really put enough emphasis on my own opinion of myself. In other words, having this confidence to do anything, but the low self-esteem, it allowed me to buy into other people's approval and acceptance. And was I, was I good enough for them? And, you know, I ask myself questions all the time. You know, if I was so good, why did my parents split up? Right? Mm -hmm. If I was good enough, I would have kept them together or I could have done it myself. You know, when you're a little person, you don't know any different. You blame yourself. I've seen it a million times with kids, you know, that I'm, that I'm you know, in relationships with and children I've met and I've read and watched stories and videos and so forth. Children blame themselves if their parents don't teach them that it's not their fault. And I'm not blaming anybody because... It was nobody else's fault, but it was my responsibility to clean up that mess. And so, yeah, I was, I was concerned of what other, uh, what other people thought of me. And it wasn't until I got the pushback that I actually experienced that, that fear, right? Because in the beginning, I thought, oh, everybody's going to love my business. Everybody's going to love my product. I'm going to be able to sell it to everybody at my cousin's wedding and at Thanksgiving. I'm going to bring samples and they're all going to sign up and I'm going to have all these people join my business and buy my product and be a partner on my team and I'm going to get rich and this is, this is the beginning of my future. And when it didn't happen like that, I had to take a strong look at why was this happening? You know, what parts of me were not a match to success? What parts of me were I still, you know, was I still unsure of? Was, where was my, you know, was I lacking this confidence that I thought I had so much of? But it turned out it was, it was not me, but it was the way I was trained to think. And there was nothing wrong with me, right? Just like your audience. If there's people that are feeling resistance or pushback or they, 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 they coin this thing called rejection right? Yeah. And somebody doesn't want to look at their business or their product or their opportunity or take a look at their program or whatever it is they're marketing and selling, right? When people realize that they're, they're worthy, okay, and they're good enough, but they need to change the way they think, right? The way they, the way they process information, the way they, 
the way they view themselves, right? Their own self-image has to change. And when we, we, when we improve our self-image and we improve our, our, our perceived self-worth, then other people are going to start seeing us the way we see ourselves, right? And so if you look at your life, it's like a movie, right? Everything out in front of you is a movie, right? All the things you have, all the relationships you have, right? All of the, you know, the, the tangible, the physical, the material items, your home, your car, the space you live in, your friendships, your relationships, right? Your, your bank account, right? Whatever, if you have investments or not, right? All the things in your life, your health, your fitness, right? Your wealth, all these things, all the parts of your life, you look at them all. If you look at them like a movie, what you have to realize is that they all come from you, which means that you are the projector, right? You are the projector. And what you're seeing in front of you is what you've created. You've projected out in front of you. So by changing what's inside of you, you're going to project what's out in front of you, right? And it's a conversation of intrinsic and extrinsic value. And when you have intrinsic value, it means you don't just love yourself, but you, you believe in yourself. You have the confidence and self-esteem. You have the self-worth, the self-image, right? You believe that you are worth everything, right? That you have been given, right? As a, as a, as a child of God. And now you go out there and you create what's called deserve. And what happens for most people, Sam, is that they come from this place where they don't feel that they deserve it. And so they're, they're really originating from this place called need. And when they, when you become needy, right, you become codependent. And when you're co codependent and needy, you learn the hard way that the world and the universe and people don't or they don't respond to need. They only respond to, to worthiness and to deserve. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long conversation, but it doesn't have to take a long time. We have to choose how we want to feel. We have to choose who we want to feel it with. We have to choose the outcome, right? It's called beginning with the end in mind. And when you believe that you're worthy and you deserve it, you got to put your action behind it. You got to put your commitment and uh, behind your words, right? Back your words up. And that's called integrity. When you do what you say you're going to do, I, when you say you're going to do it, and if you don't keep that commitment, make a new promise and keep that one instead. Yeah, commitments are great. You're right. And they can even be small ones. You know, like just the smallest action gives you just a little confidence. But boy, you can, big, you can build big on just a little confidence that, you know, take it what we're doing, for example, a podcast. If somebody wanted to interview somebody, they have no idea how to even connect a microphone to a computer. Well, do that get on YouTube and figure out how to connect a microphone to a computer. That's a, that's a small step, but it's so big in because Newton's law, things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. And when you move towards something, you keep going until you get it. Like you get that interview done and it's such a feeling of accomplishment. And I, you know, I didn't have that as much in the employee world. Not that everybody can't get that in a job. I just get it so much more daily in the entrepreneurial world because I'm always trying new things and, never really being afraid to fail. I don't like failing. It's not a very good feeling at all. I don't like blowing through a lot of money to figure out what I did wrong. But I enjoy the thought of, you know, getting, getting something brand new accomplished. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. So look, man, we've been going an hour or so. I don't want to keep you much longer. I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people hear this podcast, whether it's now or five years from now, Aaron, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Well, it depends on what they want to do with me. <laughs> I, have a, I have a website where people can book a free 10-minute fitness consult call, and they could, they could access that page and get on my calendar at getfitwitharonrashkin.com. Getfitwitharonrashkin.com. So that's the, that's the you know, first place they can reach out to me. And if they're looking to partner with me in any one of uh, my network marketing businesses right now, I'm just focusing on one business and have a team into well into the thousands. Um, they can get with me at residualincomemarketing.com. Residualincomemarketing.com. Residualincomemarketing.com and get fit with Aaron Rashkin.com. And, uh, and look, he's on social media too. Where do you spend the most time on your social media? Is it Facebook, Instagram? Where do you spend most of your time? If somebody reached Inside. out. Inside my, inside my fitness group for entrepreneurs and then also on my public wall. 
And I, you know, I got to be honest, Sam, I don't use social media the way that I see a lot of people using social media. I use it to create a connection. And then I use Facebook Messenger more than I use the actual platform that it comes from Facebook. So I, I like to be in personal conversation, one-on-one conversation with people, uh, people contacting me, me, you know, me interacting with people who come to my page and interact with my posts. And so for me, it's all about the people. And, uh, you know, it's people over profits. I, I personally love working one-on-one with people and in small groups and large groups too. I mean, I've built teams into the tens of thousands multiple times in multiple industries. And, uh, you know, I just love working with the individuals, with people one-on-one, really learning about them and their stories and things that, you know, that they're hung up on or challenges that they have and then showing them how to get around them and over them, under them or through them and uh, showing them a better way for themselves and their families. Well, look, the work you've done on yourself, man, I really respect that because, um, you know, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I don't know anybody that was, but I know you weren't. And I think what you've been able to constant, the, the, the takeaway from this chat, which I'm glad after eight years, we finally got a chance to have one, is that you are constantly working on yourself. Like you are, you are a work in progress and you're always looking for just a little bit of an edge, whether it's in the, you know, the mindset, the relationship, the money, the fitness. So uh, kudos to you, man. I'm glad it's been a minute since we chatted. So I'm glad we got a chance to catch up. <laughs> well, let, let's just say this. I just shared eight years of, of catching up in one hour. So I'll probably be quiet the rest of the day, to be honest with you. I don't have any more client calls this afternoon. So I'm going to be just pecking away at my computer, reading some books, listening to audios and, and podcasts. And I'll be looking forward to listening to this recording when it's live on your site here in the next 20 minutes or so. So, you know, yeah. to be honest with you, Sam, I, I, I tend to keep all of my, my words inside until I have the right audience, the right people. And I don't speak a lot. A lot of, a lot of my friends where I live in the, in the neighborhood, the community, the circles that I run with, they kind of wait for me to speak because I don't do it that often. But when I get, uh, you know, a platform with somebody like you, an amazing, you know, human being, uh, an amazing, you know, man and, and husband and father and an entrepreneur and a great interview, I, I just tend to, you know, share what has been on my mind and on my heart for a long time. So this was it. So thanks for having me out, Sam. I really, really appreciate you. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I, I'm a big fan as well. So always great to catch up. That's Aaron Rashkin, everybody. Aaron Rashkin, uh, just a great dude, man. Just quality individual. And Aaron, we will talk soon. Have a great day, pal. Thanks so much, Sam. Take care. All right, we'll see you. And that's a wrap. Another Everyday Saturday podcast in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Would you do your boy a favor? Would you get on iTunes or wherever you listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast and leave a rating for the show? It helps amazing people like you find the show faster. And that's what I'm looking for, amazing people like you. Hey, I'm always hanging out on the interwebs. You can check me out on Instagram, at Everyday is Saturday. Let me know you're listening to the show. Love, 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 love hearing from fans of the Everyday Saturday podcast. And one last thing, when you're ready to launch, get on my calendar. Go to launchwithsam.com. You and I are going to work together to set rocket fuel to your dream. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll see you on the next Everyday is Saturday podcast.